So it's generally good to put the call to action that you want to happen as the last thing that comes out of your mouth. Love it. And, and if you listen to salespeople, almost always they get this wrong. They say the worst things ever. They'll even say the negative statement. You don't want another pair, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, seriously? Yeah, I actually do do. That's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> so you better to say, would you like one pair or would you like a second pair today? Yeah. So they, they say what you want to happen last. Salesmarketingprofit.com Real world case studies. No theory, just real results. You're listening to SMP with James Shramko and Taki Moore. Hey, James Shramko here, and I've also got my good buddy Taki Moore. G'day, Taki. Hey, mate. Thanks for uh, kicking off this podcast. So I always get start a podcast anxiety. I don't know how they meant to start. I'm good now that you've warmed us up, though. Oh, there's no need. With Sales Marketing Profit, we're all friends. And welcome back, listener, our most important uh, guest, of course. We're going to be covering another case study from one of our uh, respective masterminds, and we're going to, to see if there's some lessons contained in this case study. Perfect. Well, as you know, every, every week we kind of rotate, and this week it's your turn. So do you want to kick us off? I will. Okay. So um, firstly, we've just, both of us have been overseas. We've been to the United States. Um, I trust your workshops went well. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for the shout out last episode, James, and kind of helping give that a little bit of a plug. Both workshops really full, heaps of great people. Uh, the pro- it's kind of funny. The promise of the workshop uh, was all killer, no filler. And I had a guy at dinner the first night say, there's a little bit too much killer. Can you just add a little bit of filler? My brain hurts. And so <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, we we just want to get straight to the hardcore the stuff because that's that's what both of us are known for. Yep. And um, this week we're talking about Ryan Spanger. He's got a business called DreamEngine.com.au. It's a strange name, but it relates to video production. So, like my last case study, this is a service business, and there's a few similarities. We'll see if we can spot them. <laughs> Ryan was working pretty long hours. No. <laughs> he was. And like literally he would finish work at five, go home, dinner, play with the kids, and then go back to the office and finish off some more work. And I'm sure this isn't uncommon for a small business owner, especially when you're doing pretty much all the work by yourself and getting some help from some interns. And I think the interns idea was that people were traveling, they were they're free, and they were happy to do the work experience. But what I talked to Ryan about was it's a false economy. It appears cheap, but it's actually really expensive because you're not building up that IP or the intellectual property within the business and you're better off to hire people to do this where you have a lot more control and you're building a thinking asset, a human being who can think and can take over the role from you. Yeah, I think otherwise you're the you're caught in the trap where every decision can only come through you because you're the only one who knows what to do. Yeah, and, then, and when someone walks out the door – then all the work, all the training, all the sitting over the shoulder, showing them how that it's done is gone. Mm. And that's why in our business, we teach the NOAA principle, which is two of everything, two people to do every role. And when I encouraged Ryan to get the people, he was going to hire one. And I said, he said, which applicant should I choose? I said, get them both. You need two people. It's really better to hire in twos. That's probably one of the first tips that I can offer. Mm. Because if one leaves, you've still got another and then you can bring someone else in and it's not you training, you've now got someone else who can do the training. And invariably, someone will be better than the other person. That's like doing a split test with your marketing. And when one's better than the other, you can find out why and you can build best practice and you can replicate that across both people. 
or if you need to, you can go, hey, you know, split test A is being split, split test D, you know, B, let's drop B and keep A and hire a new A and, and see if we can kind of beat it. And with natural attrition in businesses, it's only a matter of time until someone gets big aspirations or moves on for whatever reason, midlife crisis through to wants to travel the world or whatever, or they realize they're not the A and they drop off of their own accord, which is pretty yeah. common actually. Yeah, it totally the, is. What I found really interesting when you have two, and I used to hire two or four salespeople at a time, was that they'll end up with different strengths and then you can cross-train those strengths across the entire team and build a very strong team. Love that. So the biggest thing, though, that, that came for Ryan, it's really two areas we want, want to cover today. One is the, this idea of a natural salesperson because Ryan was challenged by the, the sales books that he was reading. He was a member of BNI, but he just wasn't feeling it. He felt that he would have to contort and be someone else other than him to make mm. sales. He had a really negative idea of what selling actually is. So what I taught Ryan was the six seed question model. And what that comes down to is- Well, hang on. Well, yeah, that, feels on. Like, that feels like a callback. <laughs> we'll definitely be coming back to the six seed questions. In order to get there, we need to reframe our idea of what selling actually is. So Ryan actually used to be a counselor and a documentary maker. So it's fair to say that he's very sensitive and I explained to him that his type of person, the, the analytical type of person who can follow a system is generally going to be a better salesperson than the traditional stereotype, what I like to call a wah-wah salesperson. The one you think is going to be a good salesperson with the gift of the gab is usually the worst salesperson. Have you found that? Yep, I totally have. They're, they're the fast talker or the, the razzle-dazzle person and frankly, they're usually so busy fast talking that they forget to listen and, sell, and find out what people really need. And almost always they're taking shortcuts and not using a system because they have this unbelievable belief in their own ability, but they actually do what I call expert error. And expert error is when they cut steps because they think they're ahead of the game, but one of those steps was critical to the sale. And, and this really comes back to the six seed questions. By having about six questions that you ask every single time – and you'll see a lot of overlap here with your previous case study. You're going to make sure you don't miss a step and that, that way you'll get to the end with the right result. Mm. But just let's back up a second because I want to just cover this idea of selling just a little more. This is really the concept that I helped Ryan with to make it something okay for him to do, something natural. And that was, I just gave him a simple definition. I think this comes from Spin Selling which is a good resource, resource on this and, and one that helped me a lot in my career. The sale is the process of change between the current situation to a better alternative situation. That's pretty much it. Mm. That's, that's a simple definition of selling. And if you're okay with that definition, then it's okay to be a salesperson because all you're doing is helping people change from something they've already got to a better situation. Let's just use a simple metaphor here of going to the gas station. You pull into the gas station, your tank's bordering on empty. That's your current situation. You decide to purchase some fuel, right? You've made the decision. A sale is taking place because you believe you'll be better off with a full tank of fuel. There's no manipulation tactics involved here. No, there's no weirdness there at all. Totally not. Nothing strange. This is happening every single day. It's happening around us. And it also shatters a lot of the myths that people perpetuate. Like you have to, you've got to like the salesperson or you have to make a friend first and all of this. It's not necessarily true if you go to the strict definition that the sale is happening when someone believes they'll be better off 
whether they like you or not. So if you don't muck it up completely, then you can put these six seed questions in place that are going to help you move through the sale. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure you're probably thinking, what are the six seed questions, right? I am. I am. That's exactly what I was going to ask. They're going to be a little bit different depending on on what you do. The ones that I refined and modeled for a decade were revolving around the car sales industry. And there were certain things we needed to know. For example, when someone's buying a car, a lot of the time they have to trade a car. So one of the questions is, which vehicle are you driving right now? And that gave us a rich source of information because from there we could find out how did they buy that vehicle last time what was their process when they purchased that car which tells you they they might say well we got three quotes and then we went with the cheapest or they might say well i always buy cars from this dealership and i just came in and upgraded so it gives you a rich source of information but also tells you a lot about the customer Mm. whatever they've got now is whatever they thought was the best situation last time so it goes without saying that a lot of those things will carry across Now, some typical questions might be, who is the decision maker in this process, right? And for Ryan, this one was really important because he's often dealing with governments and corporates and often there's a messenger doing the information gathering who's not the decision maker and then he might have to completely do the sale again down the track without realizing that he's selling to the wrong person. Yeah, and there's this massive thing that happens where you do have two buyers. You know, there's the original person, you call them the messenger, who's got the power to say no but not the ability to say yes. Yeah, they're using a technique we call man around the corner, yes. which is always putting the buyer, the real decision maker at arm's length. And for that reason, the door-to-door salespeople, like roller-door salespeople or glass window salespeople won't go to the house unless both decision makers, i.e. mum and dad, there at the same time. Yeah, otherwise, so that's- otherwise they can say, well, he's around the corner and I can't make a decision right now. Exactly. So it's very good to identify early on who the decision maker is. You also want to know who who's this for, whatever you're selling, who's it for? Because you want to be able to tailor the solution to the person who it's for. Like classic case in the car industry, people would come in and the salesperson talks to the man, but the car's for the lady. Like it's a very common mistake mm. actually, and I'm sure there'll be a number of people who say, yes, that happened to me because <laughs> I, I heard about these stories so often. So Ryan, again, had to know who is this for, who's making the decision on it, when do they need it? This is another classic. You'll often get into a sales scenario far too far down the track. Like They might be thinking about next year Mm. or next budget. If you're in a service business that deals with the government, for example, they might not even be able to buy for another year until the tenders open again. So maybe they're at the very early buying window. Maybe they're late in the buying window and they've done all their research and they're ready to buy right now. It's a really great question. It's awesome. When are you looking? Yeah. One of one of my clients, Rob Nixon, asks, "Is this a sooner thing for you? Uh, sorry, is this a later thing for you or a sooner thing?" And by putting later first, it kind of makes it okay. And he kind of he's not pushy. He's assuming the not sale. But by saying, "Is this a later thing for you or a sooner thing?" Then the prospect, you know, in many cases, go, "No, no, no, no. This is something I'd like to do, you know, right now." Well, he's cleverly using the primacy recency effect, which is that people remember what comes first and last. Mm. So it's generally good to put the call to action that you want to happen as the last thing that comes out of your mouth. Love it. And and if you listen to salespeople, almost always they get this wrong. They say the worst things ever. They'll even say the negative statement. You don't want another pair, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, seriously? Yeah, I actually do, dude. That's why we're having this conversation. So you better to say, would you like one pair or would you like a second pair today? Yeah. So the, the, say what you want to happen last. And... Then you go on to what's most important to you about this. Love this question. 
purchase. Well, this is really this is this gets to the values of it. And you know, for the documentaries or the videos that Ryan's producing, quite often the answers can be completely different. Mm. And this just fleshes it out. Maybe they want to look good to their boss. You know, it might be important that they keep their job. It might be important that it has the same look and feel as the last project. It might be important that it comes in at ten thousand dollars or less. You know, so if you know what's important and then you can match your solution to that, that's that's a great head start. Mm. And here's a catch-all that's really worth putting down, and that's, is there anything else? Yeah, perfect. You, you'll get that in the local bread shop, but so many people leave that one off, and that's the one that, that catches anything you might have missed, and that, that's really important. And if you want to go for gold, right, if you happen to be in a situation where you're about to make the sale, you can use some clever wording, and it's something along the lines of, I usually ask my clients just before they make the decision to go forward if there's anything else. So is there anything else? <laughs> and that's basically presupposing a, a positive action. So this is this is sort of like gives you an edge if you're in a highly commoditized market and you need all the weapons available at your disposal. But the main point that I want to come from this discussion is that Ryan went from having a bit of a hang-up about sales and it being something dirty to having a really good way of understanding it that you're only ever helping someone be better off. And if you're only ever helping someone be better off and you could come up with the main questions you should ask each time and, and they'll usually be about six. And if you just commit to asking each person who comes through your system or your funnel or whatever you want to call it, those six questions, and then you write down the answers, as you said before, if you mm. listen to the answers and you write it down, then you're going to come so close to the mark. Now, in this case, Ryan's closing ratio went from 20% to 50%. Mm. straight off the bat with this new understanding. Now, this meant that he was able to bring in business and this sort of falls over onto our systems discussion. Because he now had two full-time staff, he was able to have them deliver the work while he was working on the marketing system. And of course, he was able to work less, which is something you and I are big on. His work week dropped from 55 hours a week to 35 hours a week. Wow. And then he started benchmarking off me. He actually he said this to me when I was discussing his case study. He said, well, I saw you go overseas for a whole month with your family and it made him question, well, how could I do that? So he started, he built up small. He left the office for one day to see how the team went. And guess what? It didn't blow up. And then he left it for three days and then he left it for two weeks and eventually uh, he went on a riding trip around Tasmania for for a couple of weeks and then he took his family overseas to a whole other country and got his work day down to about two to three hours per day. And he actually took three months off last year, first time in his whole career since wow. he's you know been pretty much a solopreneur to now having an actual business. His sales and his profit have more than doubled. Mate, that's fantastic. It's crazy good. So what have we learned from this case study? What can we extract from this that might be worth just highlighting for our listener to go and implement? Well, I've got a three or four key things. I'm not sure I caught it all. So if I've missed something, please jump in. But if we go right to the start, there was the uh, higher in twos. You called it the Noah's Ark principle, I think. Yeah, the uh, Noah principle. The so Noah principle. In our business, one thing we ask on the manager's meeting each week is, who is your Noah? And I want to make sure that everyone in my business has a Noah, someone else who can step in. And, and here's something vitally important. There may be some rejection to this idea in the beginning because people like to protect their fiefdom and they like to have a little black box and feel that they're the only person, that they're irreplaceable in their business. Mm. But when you explain to them that having a Noah means you can have holidays, 
you could have sick leave if heaven forbid you ever needed it. You can progress to the next job because someone can take over your job. None of this can happen if you hang on to your role. You can't take time off and mm. you can't be promoted because no one else can do the job. So the first thing that they want to do is teach someone else to be able to do their job. It's awesome. I love that. And you've reframed, you know, it's in my best interest to, you know, hang on to the job and not share it to it's actually way better because of holidays and sick leave and career progression to kind of have a Noah. It's awesome. I love it. Well, career progression is probably the hot button. And, and as soon as someone gets promoted, they're going to be a big champion of this idea. They'll, they'll actually ask for someone to be their Noah so that they can move up another notch. Totally. Okay. So my number one takeaway was kind of hire in twos and, have, and make sure everyone's got a Noah. Uh, number two, this was huge. Uh, you talked about kind of a natural salesperson. And the, the second big idea was really that sales isn't a dirty word and that m- many of us have weird hangups. Remember, one of the first kind of coaching businesses I was involved in, whenever they do sales training, they had an act- activity that they get people to do. They said, kind of grab, a, grab a pen and a piece of paper and I'm going to tell you a word and I want you to write down the first thing that comes to your mind. And so they would say the word sales, selling, and salespeople, go. And people would write down for a, about 30 seconds or a minute, the first things that came, and the kind of first things that came into their mind. And people would write down dirty you know, pitchy, manipulative, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, these are the beliefs that they would have about sales, obviously, when it's done wrong. But they're kind of subconsciously the beliefs that we'd have about ourselves when we take on that salesperson role. And it's hard to be good at something or even want to do it, i.e. grow your business, if you have, manip- you know, bad beliefs like that. Yeah, and, and one way that I, I remember when I got my first job as a car salesman, <laughs> I did think about that for a minute. Oh my goodness, I'm a car salesman. I even sell used cars. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the one that saves customers from dealing with that slime bag. The scumbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be the good guy. And I thought of myself more as a problem solver. When people drive into the car lot, they have a problem that needs solving and I'll be the one to help them solve it. And often that meant finding the solution that was right for the customer but wasn't necessarily going to be the best one for my commission on the spot. However, those customers were in a position where they could come back and deal with me again. And within two years, with half my business repeat and referral, I realized that it's a long, long game. And this is going to be a recurring theme. We're talking about stuff that's going to set you up for dealing with people over and over again. And we both like the subscription model. And the subscription model doesn't work. Yeah, if, if you're, you're selling crap in a box. If you're a naughty you're salesperson, off, no. it's not going to work. Exactly. So what I loved about your problem solver idea is people, you know, the idea that people come in with some kind of problem and your job's to help them solve it is it relates perfectly to that Neil Rackham spin selling definition of selling, which is it's a process of change from somebody's current situation to a better situation. When you think about it like that, it takes the yuck straight out and it's, you are in the problem-solving position. People come in, in in some kind of current situation and, and they're looking at you to help them achieve some kind of better outcome. I love that. It takes the weirdness out. Perfect. Um, the third big takeaway is that selling isn't manipulative but that you need a sales process. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the last episode or not, but David Sandler from the Sandler Sales Institute said, if you don't have a system for selling, you'll always be at the mercy of your prospect's system for buying. And so what we need is, in your case, six seed questions, six you know, go-to questions no matter what the process is, even if they look like they're red hot and ready to go right now, that you kind of take the time to walk them through your process to unpack you know, what the real need is, what the you know, real opportunity is, because it might turn out you, you sell them less than they need if you actually took the time to ask. Absolutely, yeah. Having This is going to come up over and over again, but you've got to have the system and you have to use the system. And the system is what system stands for, saves you stress, time, energy, money. 
you've got to have systems and it, it's really the core. I've got this whole concept of the core that drives you through life and you've got your core personal effectiveness and then around that you build your core business engine and then you can navigate through life with that and it takes care of everything and it's heavily built on systems. Even to run a podcast like this, we have a system, a system that makes sure it gets recorded, a system that makes sure that we stay on topic. And even even alternating between case studies is a, is a system that we can follow. And if we replicate that each time, we're going to end up with a consistent result. Exactly. And if you do expert error, as you called it, and you skip steps and you, you, know, you think on it too highly enough that you don't need the system anymore, that's exactly when you get, the lack of systems are going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yep, you know, you just got to think about pilots or hospital staff, and you, you really don't want to be skipping systems. It's, the, the penalty is too great, especially in selling. You're not doing the best job of the customer or yourself. Love that. No, exactly right. So, I've had lots of nice comments on the previous episodes. Just want to say thank you for that and acknowledge them. And I think we're going to be on a pretty steady routine now with our episodes. So, uh, look, I'm looking forward to your next case study, Taki. Thanks, man. I'm actually. Uh interviewing a client on Friday to get all of the juice out of his head about that. And so I can't wait to share it. It's, uh, it's pretty killer. Nice. And you can't argue with killer, right? No. Or killer. <laughs> no filler. It's going to be awesome. Killer is like the minimum standard. Killer is totally the minimum standard. Exactly. Mate, this is great. So I think kind of the big takeaways are hire in twos and make sure every one of your staff has a NOAA. That's one and two. Number three would be sales isn't dirty. You're a problem solver and it's just the process of moving someone from their current situation to a better situation. Number four is have a sales system, a framework for taking people from curious to committed, whether that is your webinar or live event or one-on-one, no matter what your business is, you and your team need to have a framework for this. In fact, you know, in Santa Monica a week and a half ago, you and I sat down and we kind of refined and tweaked our framework for this podcast, even though we've kind of already been doing a few of them and it's, and it's already great. Basically, any anytime there's a result worth getting, it's good to devi- devise a framework or a system for it. Yeah, exactly right. It's like your, your checklist, like you talked about. It's good, man. So, um, how about some? I don't know what the you know, I haven't action got my step. Yeah, action step. We exactly. should have an action step. And this is for this is for you, listener. You can go and do something as a result of listening to this. So, don't be passive on this. I want you to be active. Taki and I would would actually love to know that we are helping you solve a problem. So this might be a checklist. One is which roles in your business do you only have one person doing where you are what we call single point sensitive because you are in danger of having to do that job if that person leaves or having to go through the whole process of hiring and training and and recruiting and induction and getting to know someone if that person leaves. So Step one is identify your weak points for single point sensitivity, sensitivity. Yep. and see if you can get a NOAA happening. The second thing is sit down and identify the top questions that you really need to ask every single person in your process. You've got a framework from Taki's other case study that you might be using if you're in a coaching business. If you're in a service business, uh, like some of my case studies and certainly a lot of my background there's going to be different types of questions because you may not be dealing with the decision maker. You may be dealing with the hierarchy. You may have a longer buying cycle. You may have elements like stock availability, et cetera, that really need to be fleshed out early. So, And you might have a, a customer who literally can't buy because of budgets or one of the, the classic car ones is what budgetary requirements do you have around this purchase? You know, yeah. And that's, that's good if you're talking about really high price things. So sit down and identify the six or so seed questions. It might be one or two more or one or two less and put it on a checklist and 
like tape it to your telephone or put it on your computer, whatever system you use, or, or print it out on a piece of paper, or heaven forbid, write it on a pad, and use it every single time that you're in that uh, process where you're moving someone from, what do you say, curious to... Committed. Committed. That's a good one. Cold to salt. Cold to salt. Well, hopefully anyone listening to our stuff's dealing with warm prospects at the minimum. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So... That's basically the, the action steps. Mate, I totally love it. So you got your, your two pieces of homework. One's around staffing. You know, where are you single point sensitive right now? And then how can we know it? And number two is what's your six questions? You know what I, I would love to see, James, is if you've taken action on this, jump over to salesmarketingprofit.com and give us the six questions that you're going to ask, you know, four to six questions that you're going to ask in your sales process from now on. Leave us a comment there. Love to see it. Yeah, that's killer. Awesome. So there you go. We've actually been working on the capacity and the marketing. Our seesaw should be rising in profit. Indeed. That's exactly how we roll. Mate, this has been fun. Thanks a million. And uh, I'm at my place right now. I'm about to hang up this podcast, go pick up the kids and then meet you down at Manly for a surf. I think you should definitely do that. See you soon, buddy. See you soon, mate. Bye. You're listening to SMP with James Franco and Talkie Moore. Visit salesmarketingprofit.com. 